It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Matt Chorley. This is the Red Box Podcast featuring the best of my Times radio show, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Obviously, all the talk today was about the exam results, those who done well and those who perhaps hadn't, and was it all fair. I've been talking to Alan Johnson, former Labour Education Secretary, didn't go to university, left school at 15 with no qualifications, about how he progressed uh, through his career and his advice to young people today and his suggestion that GCSEs should be scrapped altogether because we're just testing uh, young people far too much. That's coming up in just a sec. But if you want to come on my Times Radio show, if you want to do our general knowledge quiz, can you get to number 10? We are looking for contestants. There's no prize at all. All that awaits you is humiliation when you go out in the first round. Get in touch with us. Email studio at times.radio. Alan Johnson left school as a teenager, worked at Tesco and as a postman before going into politics. He became Labour MP for Hull West and Hessel for 20 years, rising to become Education Secretary for Tony Blair, Home Secretary for Gordon Brown, 11 years in the Cabinet, five Cabinet jobs. Didn't go to university and he joins me now. Morning, Alan. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. It's lovely to have you with us. I suppose we, we should start with uh, with that. Um, your, let's start at the beginning, if you like. For those who who stupidly haven't read your excellent books, uh, your 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 <laughs> memoirs, um, available at all good bookshops. All, all yeah. good bookshops and even bad bookshops. Um, uh, what? Um, just explain what happened when you were growing up and uh, and, and when you left school. Oh, well, in personal circumstances, I went from a one-parent family to a no-parent family when I was 13. My sister was 15. But but I don't don't think that had any effect on the fact I left school when I was, what, two weeks past my 15th birthday. The point is, Matt, very few kids in general went to university back then. You know, 3% of the population in the year I was born, which isn't, I mean, I'm ancient, but it's not that long ago. 4% 4% by the time I left school in 1965. So 96% of the population didn't get anywhere near university. So, you know, I was, I was part of the, the vast, vast majority. And the whole education system, I mean, you took that 11 plus when you were 11. That's why I was called the 11 plus. And and that very much did determine your future. And as far as university is concerned, I mean, you, you were one of the 80% that failed the 11 plus. Me and my sister passed. But if you were one of the 80% that failed, well, secondary modern schools didn't even have a sixth form. And you weren't going to get to university unless you got A-levels and were in the sixth form. So, so the whole system was very 
different then um and very different as well because in the economy at large there were millions of jobs you could walk into without qualifications back then you know not just the mines and the steelworks and the shipyards and all of that uh, which required vocational qualifications but you could join and learn on the job with apprenticeships of course i was in london a long way from that but a vast uh, array of jobs were open that didn't require any qualifications for the majority of kids who left school as soon as they could, 15 years of age, which is when I left school. So, you know, I don't think my personal situation, um, I mean, my sister, when I used, we used to have open days at my grammar school, just as I was coming up to leaving the last couple of years, it was my sister who'd left school at 15 to train to nurse, train to be a nursery nerd, nurse, who went to see my teachers. And they would often be perplexed because she was just old enough to be in the girls' school next door, Carlisle School for Girls. Um, but And she'd come back and, you know, tell me off if my maths teacher said something <laughs> uh, that I ought to be getting on with. And she was very uh, against me leaving school at, uh, at 15. But there was no, there was no parental... Uh, you know, uh, there was nobody insisting that I stayed on. But I actually think if my mum had still been alive, she'd have been fine with that. No one we knew went to university. No one in our street went to university. None of our family or friends went to university. And that was the kind of very different, the two worlds that existed back then. Jump ahead then to when you became an MP and you arrive in Westminster. Uh, did you discover that almost everyone there had gone to university? Um, Westminster's a funny yeah, place for that. Yeah, it was certainly once I was in government, you know, when not just your cabinet colleagues. I think there was one, Ian McCartney, who hadn't gone to university. And then amongst the civil servants who you work very closely with, you know, you have your private office, you were dealing with civil servants all the time. Uh, very unusually, my first private secretary, a guy called Simon Lancaster, who is now a renowned speechwriter, by the way, um, hadn't gone to university. He was on this fast track. The civil service then was just starting to kind of pick out talent, not necessarily at university. But of course, um, you know, it, so in, in that sense, uh, I always felt a bit of an outsider amongst colleagues who would be talking about the networks they'd created or, or were you at, oh, I was at Cambridge with him or, I, you know, or did, what did you get? Did you get a first or a 2-2 two, two or a 2-1? I didn't understand any of that. <laughs> but no, no no one deliberately made me feel uh, uncomfortable. But you did feel, you know, that you kind of at times you didn't belong in, in that kind of world. But I do have to say, and, and this is sometimes overlooked, you know, there were a whole range of people from different jobs. There were some miners. There was a gas fitter. You know, in Parliament with me, there were nurses, there was a civil engineer, lots of teachers. There was even a taxi driver, Clive Efford, who's still there, taxi driver. For those who think it's a shame the people who really know how to run the country are too busy driving cabs. <laughs> well, well, one of them was in Parliament. So, so people tend to look at the, you know, the front rank, if you like, the front bench and not at the uh, uh, the rest of Parliament. I mean, there is a Conservative who came in in 2015, not long, I left in 2017, a Conservative called Scott Mann, uh, MP for North Cornwall, who was a postman. And at first, when I was told this, I thought, yeah, you know, he did a week as a Christmas casual, which lots of people say, oh, I was a postman, but turned out they were Christmas casuals. He was, left school at 16, became a postman. And 
you know, leave aside Scott, I don't agree with Scott on almost anything in terms of his <laughs> politics, but it was a sign, I think, if you want to, you know, a bit of uh, optimism here, that even on the Tory benches, where they weren't the gas fillers or the miners uh, or, the, or even the teachers, usually, um, they had come round to the view that they were missing out on a lot of a lot of talent out there. So I think Scott Mann is a bit of a kind of breakthrough for the Tories. But what about the fact, as you were saying, there's, it's one thing being on the back benches, it's another thing being on the front benches, and, you know, successive governments, there has been a bit of that, oh, yeah, they were at university together, they were flatmates at university. Um, I mean, I've, I've fallen into that trap so many times and I've been talking to one person, not necessarily bad-mouthing them, but then they say, oh, yeah, no, I was at Oxford with them. Or, yeah. you know, they were, yeah. Yeah, I remember having a conversation with a very senior Labour front bencher about the insidiousness of all these networks and everyone knows each other and all of this sort of thing. Uh, and I said, yeah. oh, it's a classic. I'm speaking to so-and-so and, you know, they're awful at doing this stuff. And they said, oh, yeah, that um, they are a godparent to my uh, child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that is a danger, yeah. Um, so, so what, can I can say, I am probably unique in the, in essence, it was my qualification for senior ministerial office was that I had no qualifications. So I tell the story in my third book. I mean, I was made, I was a minister of state at the DTI and I got a phone call from the prime minister, Tony Blair. And he asked me in 2003 in a reshuffle to go to education as the university's minister, as the minister for higher education. And I said to him, this is a phone in the back of a government car going over the Humber Bridge. Uh, I'll never forget it. I said, Tony, you do realise that I've... um, I never went to university. And he said precisely. Now, why did he say that? Because I was being asked to go and take through the very controversial legislation, almost brought down the Labour government with a 177-seat majority, on the introduction of tuition fees. And, of course, for my predecessor in that role had been Margaret Hodge, and for any other minister that had been accused of pulling up the ladder you know, having had free, generous grants post-Robbins report and all that, whereas I could never be accused of that. So, in essence, my qualification for being higher education minister was never having been in higher education. You could be wheeled out and not attacked in the same way that others might be. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And and we got the legislation. So I very much believed in it, by the way. You know, this argument, uh, we won't get into the nuts and bolts of this, but this argument that that students that are graduates are after, not students anymore, they're at work, shouldn't pay something towards the cost of their higher education, given that there was something like a, a £12 billion funding gap in higher education. And we need to be world-class. But essentially, we needed more higher education places. So it was easy when it was the preserve of a of a tiny elite when I was born, that 3% and 4% when I left school, it was easy to fund higher education. <laughs> you know, not many people went there. If you were going to expand those going into higher education to 50% uh, of 18 to 30-year-olds in higher education, not particularly universities, many doing foundation degrees at the workplace, that was our aim. You have to be able to afford it. So I always agreed with that policy and as i say my lack of qualification qualified me for that and then you know i went from there into the into the cabinet <clears throat> and do you think that that target of getting 50% of people to go on to higher education was that the right thing to do or did it did it yes. focus too yeah. much on that rather than the other 50% <clears throat> 
just for the reason I've touched upon, people keep saying to me, actually, when I was higher education minister and we were going to introduce fees, I'd get people say to me, we need plumbers, not graduates. It was never their kids that were going to be the plumbers, by the way. But leaving that aside, uh, people say that we had a target of getting 50% of 18-year-olds into university. No, we didn't. We had a target of 50% of 18 to 30-year-olds in higher education. Now, this focus that all higher education is in universities is totally wrong. You know, foundation degrees, uh, the vocational qualifications that are higher grade, are higher education, level five and six. That's what we wanted. And what country wouldn't want that, given that for the rest of the world, you know, we were behind the curve in Australia, in Singapore, in Japan. China were building a new university practically every week. You know, this idea that it should just be the preserve of an elite. Uh, was nonsense. So, of course, that was the right policy. Uh, and it, there are many people who think that 1950 was about right, that it should just be 3%. Uh, you know, it should be a, 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 an elite. Well, you know, I, I think those views are more consistent with the 18th century than the uh, 21st century. <laughs> Um, as I, I should point out, as, a, as a, somebody who come comes from a family of plumbers, there's, it's, it can be quite yeah. lucrative being a plumber. It's <laughs> a skilled job. Yeah, <laughs> exactly absolutely. right. Much more useful to society than being a journalist. Um, uh, let's let's move ahead. So you then became obviously education secretary, uh, albeit only for about a year or so because of the um, well, Tony Blair's enthusiasm for having reshuffles as much as anything else. Um, yeah. But um, what would you have done if you'd been education secretary this year? Because it, it's such a tough uh, you know, obviously the, the pandemic has had an extraordinary impact across society, but on this particular cohort of youngsters who are supposed to be taking exams this year, what would you have done if you were in, in Gavin Williamson's shoes? Well, there isn't an easy option here. You know, the, the, the best way to do this is by, via an exam. If you can't have the exams, what do you do? So I've got some sympathy there. It doesn't stretch very far, I have to say, because I do think in... All the planning for this, this terrible catastrophe that's hit us called coronavirus, education always seemed to be the last thing that anyone thought about. And we could see this coming for a long time. And yet even at the last minute, we had, you know, the, the mocks are going to be taken into account in terms of uh, appeals, which led the Daily Mail to put on their front page, pick your own exam results, which couldn't be further from the truth. But... So, you know, I've got a lot of sympathy here, but, you know, if you ask me what do you prefer, teacher assessment or algorithms, I'll go for teacher assessment every time. So I think in the end, I would have come down on the basis of teacher assessment, as they've now done in Scotland. And the reason I say that is the teacher assessment is not just about the individual and what grade they would be expected to get. They always have to rank their pupils. So if you've got 60 maths students as a teacher, you have to rank them from one to 60. So if you're going to try and put everyone at number one. Well, you can't. There's another 59 places to fill. So teacher assessment, I wouldn't use it. Use it. Um, I mean, where it has a very important influence, of course, in normal years. But where there's an exam, then then that is is the key part. But if you're saying what's happened now, it seems to me, is a bright kid from a poor background in a school that has a bad reputation, works really hard, wants to be a doctor, let's say, uh, for which they'll need you know at least two good A-levels, a, a levels, 
uh, the teacher thinks this kid is, is superb. As part of the algorithm, they look at the school, not the individual. They look at where it is. They look at the postcode. And that drags them down. Now, that can't be right. That cannot be right. And it's very difficult to see how any appeal system would get around that if you're still putting algorithms in this, you know, predominant position. So I'd have gone with teacher assessment. If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And what about, because this time next week, we're going to be deep into, we're going to be doing all this again with GCSE results. Um, there's been lots of discussion about, given that... Uh, um, young people now are, have to stay in education or some sort of uh, training uh, uh, until they're 18. Do we still need to be doing loads and loads and loads of exams at 16? Is it time to scrap I the GCSEs? Don't so. No, I don't think I introduced the, the extension of the education leaving age to 18. You're quite right. It's not a school leaving age. But it was ridiculous that, you know, we would allow kids like me or 16-year-olds to just that's the world of education finished for them. So, so having done that, it became very obvious then that the GCSE was virtually a school leaving exam, and you didn't need it anymore. Now, it's not as simple as that. You, you know, you have to come up with something that fits in with the whole progression up to eighteen, including in university, university technical colleges, which have been a, well, a hugely successful one here in Hull, uh, the Ron Deering UTC. You have to take all the, all of that into account about what exams when, so you wouldn't have a ex- completely exam free world. But you do do you need so much riding on GCSEs now that there's uh, an education leaving age of eighteen? I don't think you do, and uh, you know that's a widely shared view. I also think when we were in government, we had the chance to do away with uh with uh with gcses uh and focus on a levels and we didn't take it and i think that was a mistake 
Uh, let's move on then and talk about uh, the Labour Party and, uh, you know, your time in government. It's, it's a long time ago now, uh, Alan. Um, I don't want to remind you of, of that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> um, for, I want to ask, first of all, your um, your old constituency, Kingston-upon-West and Hessel, back when you, you held the seat, you had a majority of 9,000. It's now down to under 3,000. Obviously, lots of seats not far away turned to Tory last year. Has politics been turned on its head? Will your seat, will that still be a Labour seat in five, ten years' time? Yeah, I hope so. I think what happened in December last year was a kind of one-off. Um, you, 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 we'd have lost all three whole seats if um, uh, UKIP or whatever variation of UKIP hadn't put up candidates. It wasn't UKIP, was it? It, it was, was a Brexit party, new little Brexit party. party. Brexit party yeah. Yeah. If they hadn't put up candidates, we'd have lost the three whole seats, including John Prescott's old seat in East Hull. And, you know, we'd have lost all the Doncaster seats as well. So, it, you know, the good news for Labour is it could have been worse in <laughs> December uh, 2019. But there was no doubt in my mind uh, that we'd we'd lost the working class vote because we'd turned to the hard left. And, you know, this the, the, the fact that there were there was someone leading the Labour Party who didn't have an ounce of patriotism in him who disliked practically everything about this country and always had, once once working-class people sized him up, which they hadn't done in 2017, once they understood who they would be voting for, they made the decision long ago that they wouldn't be voting Labour. And that was a hugely important factor. Of course, Europe was also a factor, but that's tied in as well because you know Jeremy Corbyn couldn't make up his mind where he was on, on, on Europe. So I'd be very surprised if those circumstances prevail in uh, 2024. But this is Boris Johnson's chance. And, you know, he's made, bringing us back to what we were talking about before. He's made social mobility a big issue, levelling up, as he calls it. And that's why the way this exam uh the a levels and gcses next week are dealt with is going to be critical because there is nothing i've seen more offensive to the concept of social mobility than downgrading results because of an algorithm so you know the two things are connected but if he if he takes his opportunity maybe he'll keep these seats that's his chance and that's labor's challenge do you think, and I take on board everything you said about Jamie Corbyn, do you think that Keir Starmer, a, a barrister, North London MP, uh, architect of the Labour Party's remain uh, strategy, is he the man to win back those, those seats again? Yeah, your description sounds very much like Clem Attlee, actually, <laughs> in terms of a lawyer, uh, Londoner, uh, all of that. I, I don't think that matters. I think, I think, you know, what people see in Keir Starmer and what they're already seeing is a world away from the person who, you know, the oppositionist, uh, the the rebel who wanted to shout down things but never really understood what he wanted in their place. I think with Keir Starmer, people will relate to him. I think they're already relating to him. The problem for us is to make the Labour Party as popular as its leader. Well, yeah, that's true. If you look at the polls, there is a gap there. Um, given that, I mean, you talk about Jamie Corbyn being an oppositionist, he seems to spend most of his time currently in opposition to uh, Keir Starmer, um, you know, claiming that he would 
been leader right now, were it not for those pesky people in Labour HQ and all that. If he if he continues to undermine Keir Starmer's leadership, should he do what Tony Blair never did and expel him from the party? Uh, no, I don't think he should do that because it, it, he's not that important a figure. Uh, it's whether, you know, the, the, the real challenge for Labour is whether the, the Corbynistas, the people who flooded into our party, many of whom detest the Labour Party, you know, the history of the Labour Party for 120 years has been people trying to use it as a cloak to gain office who have reviews that are absolutely inconsistent with the Labour Parties. We are democratic socialists, not revolutionary socialists. It's whether that's gone too deep for it to be uh, reversed. All the signs are it hasn't uh, gone that deep and that Keir Starmer and the leadership are going to turn this around. And in those circumstances, you don't want to make a martyr of Jeremy Corbyn. Listen, it's not Jeremy Corbyn's fault he became leader. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons why he became leader, but he has it's, been it's consistently partly his fault, isn't wrong it? on all these things for many years. <laughs> so I wouldn't expel him from the party now. Um, I wanted to. Uh, what about our, what about momentum? Momentum obviously still around. Uh, you famously had a, cash, a clash with John Landsman on uh, election night. The founder of Momentum, the sort of the Corbynista campaign group, uh, aligned to the Labour Party. Do they need to be, um, you, you know, become a well? That's the challenge, isn't it? That's that. That is the challenge. You know, when Momentum roll up their tent and decide to go off to the international Marxists or wherever they came from, uh, most of them. Uh, you know, then we can then we can say that that period of our history has gone the same way as when militant eventually folded. Um, while they're there, they are a party within a party, and they're a party that makes its own rules. I mean, I, I can't see why they're still considered to be constitutional. Uh, but you know, they've got their they've got their supporters in the trade union movement and all of that. But they are dedicated to Corbynism. To it was a, it was a fan club for Jeremy Corbyn. That's why it was formed. So if they stay influential, you know, getting people elected to the NEC, getting people elected to all kinds of esoteric bits like the, you know the conference arrangements committee, then there's going to be a problem. And Keir Starmer needs a majority on the NEC, just as he needs what he's got, which is a vast majority. Uh, of you know sensible centre left MPs, he needs that to be reflected throughout the party. Put all that in place, and we've got a chance. If not, we were heading towards twenty nineteen was a was a stepping stone to total oblivion. We've got no right to continue to be you know the main opposition party as we are now and a party of government. It's only been the case since nineteen uh, hundred. It's only been the case for one hundred and twenty years. Uh, we were we were on the way to oblivion. Can Keir Starmer rescue us? I think he can. But it's not certain that existential threat's been completely removed? No, not yet, no. Because uh, Keir, Keir Starmer's job is so... That's why Keir Starmer's job is so difficult, you know. No regrets not like then. Lots of people say that you're the... Uh, parliament, you know. Lots of people say that you're the, the best Labour leader they never had. No, no regrets that you never did. <laughs> it's it. nice they should say that. It's uh, <laughs> uh, totally inaccurate. Uh uh, no, no regrets. I never wanted to be leader of, of the Labour Party. Thank God there are Which people... The best, qualifi- like best, best qualification uh, that there is, that if somebody doesn't want to do it, people want you to do it even more. <laughs> yeah. Just finally, uh, what, any advice for 18-year-olds this morning? Um, whether it was you know, advice you wish oh, you'd been given? Keep your chin up. I mean, look, you'll see the storm that's met 
you know, the the people who would be lots of kids would be absolutely fine with the results. You know, ninety uh, percent will be within where they were expecting to get. But you know, I don't think politicians of. Any, I was listening to Michael Portillo on your Splendid Times Radio earlier on uh, this morning, and he was uh, he was saying, you know, that for these kids who have had their grade dragged down through nothing that they have done or could influence at all, simply because of their postcode or their school's history or whatever, politicians are not going to sit back and let that happen. So if you are in that position, I'm sure that a solution will be found to that. And that's where the focus has to be. Yeah, and in fact, Tobias Elwood, the, uh, the um, Tory MP, was telling us earlier there's now a hotline that MPs have so uh, people can go to their MP and they can sort of try to, to come in um, and help on their behalf. Alan Johnson, really good to speak to you. Loads of messages have come in this morning just saying it's just nice to hear two people having a conversation and not having an argument, which is sort of what we try to do on Times Radio. But uh, we couldn't let you go without reminding you of something. And if all else fails, whatever... Um, happens to people's exam results wherever, uh, this week. If all else fails, they might one day be able to do this. I'm unmasked at last. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Alan Johnson! Take it away, Alan! So, Alan, this is you on telly singing Walk Like the Egyptian. Oh, you're not going to do that as well. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one final question. I've got to get, let you go for the news, but why... <laughs> Yeah. Why? Oh, uh, listen, I wanted to be a pop singer. When I left school at 15, I was working in Tesco's, bumming around, but I was also playing in two bands, writing songs, and convinced that I was going to be the rock sensation that Britain needs. I still think that. <laughs> and uh, and The Masked Singer was just uh, an audition for that, you know. Well, Alan Johnson, an absolute joy to speak to you. There's still time. For somebody sign Alan Johnson up, give him a record deal. Alan Johnson, their former cabinet minister, speaking to me here on Times Radio with a round of applause. We don't get that. We should have that for every interview. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review at the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.